0: Hello and welcome to the New School Conversations Library Series. Today we have the esteemed pleasure of talking with visionary somatics pioneer Emily Conrad about moving medicine, continuum, and invigorating health. I'm Sharon Weil and I'm honored that Michael Lerner has asked me to stand in for him to conduct this conversation with Emily Conrad, founder of Continuum. Before introducing Emily I'd like to briefly say something about myself. I am an associate and supporter of Commonweal and most particularly of the newly formed Institute of Arts and Healing at Commonweal. Emily and I have been in an ongoing conversation that began over 24 years ago. I've had the enormous privilege of being both a longtime student and longtime teacher of Emily's work, and I've had the absolute joy of being her dear friend. In addition, I am a writer, as is she, and together we've had many collaborations of putting the enormity of Continuum into words. And here we are again. Emily Conrad began her explorations of Continuum in the mid-1960s and has been actively teaching, courting new frontiers, exploring, and evolving the work ever since. She was born and raised as a pretty tough cookie in New York City where dance saved her life. It gave her her life. She studied ballet and Afro-Haitian dance. Her early influences were Sevilla Fort, Catherine Dunham, Robert Joffrey, and Don Farnsworth. She spent five years as a choreographer with Folklore Company in Haiti and it was there that she began her discoveries of the undulating essential primary movements common to all life forms that lie beneath cultural influence. She began to see through movement that all form is fluidly mutable, dissolves and shapes itself anew. Emily has been a featured lecturer, teacher and keynote speaker all over the United States and Canada as well as in Europe. Emily has made significant contributions in all areas of movement education, making revolutionary contributions in the area of spinal cord injury and neuromuscular compromise. In 1974, she pioneered a protocol for spinal cord injury, and she has presented at VA hospitals at the Spinal Injury Clinic. From 1974 to 1979, Emily was Movement Specialist in a research study conducted by Dr. Valerie Hunt at UCLA. This groundbreaking study demonstrated that fluid primary movement is essential in our ability to innovate. Emily has also made significant contributions in the area of physical fitness. She has originated a dynamic workout that strengthens by incorporating multiple angles in gravity to facilitate developing diverse muscular and skeletal relationships, developing a fluid strength that sustains dexterity at all ages. Emily's origin in dance, acting, and performance bring an artistry to all aspects of her transformational work. Taking the body as art form, She speaks to the choreography of the biodiverse field. Continuum has over 65 teachers worldwide, reaching into a diversity of communities and operating through many healing modalities. You can read about the origins of Continuum and Emily's process of discovery in her book, Life on Land. And so now we bring you Emily. Hi, Emily. Hi
1: Sharon, here we are again.
0: Here we are again. Where's
1: the espresso is what I want to know.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Afterwards. So we have had many many conversations with each other and so I would like to begin this one by asking you the work of Continuum is such a rich and vast sea and it has made a profound impact in in the entire field of somatics and movement and how we see the body, what we call the body. How do you describe continuum?
1: Well, when people you know, we would do the short version, yes. okay? So, when people ask me that, I my well, first of all, we don't know what the body is for. That's number 1. Mm-hmm. We do know that we are programmed for basic survival. We have to we have to say that. But we really don't know what the story actually is. What we can say and this um uh because we're able to track the embryo, we can see that the, what we call our bodies is billions of years of a planetary process, and that we are an expression of that. And we're in an ongoing developmental phase, as far as I can see. So continuum, I, and I ask people, when you went to school, did anybody tell you that you contained nine billion years of planetary history? And the answer, of course, is always no because that would be too self-empowering. So I feel the necessity to proclaim the birthright uh, and particularly in these times I think it's even more crucial for us to be able to have some sense of where we are in the scheme of things not just in the political socio-economic scheme of things but in the whole environment and how we can play that role. So without the Without the the connection in terms of species inclusivity, which is what each one of us represents, you know, they found. I have a field called homology now, and it's uh, it's uh, Carl Zimmer, who's my one of my favorite writers. You can look at it in the New York Times. They're finding these fossils that are billions of years old, and the genetic pattern is in your knee of a fossil that died, uh, you know. 12 million years ago, and then another fossil has the same genetic code in your ear. And so it's so obvious that we are an inclusive, a species-inclusive entity that exists both within our time-space and also beyond the time-space that we're inhabiting. So Continuum is an attempt to really awaken us to the birthright of what it means to be a human being. Mm-hmm,
0: great. Well, both you and I are loath to use the word paradigm shift because it's so overused. But Continuum truly is creating a totally new understanding of what the body is and how it functions and new implications therefore for health and healing. So what would you say are the greatest contributions that Continuum is making to the larger conversation?
1: I think that the issue of, if you look at the human body, it, uh, it, everything is wrapped. So if you look at it anatomically, everything is curved and wrapped. And, and looking at it from a wave point of view, it, it, it is wave motion that has consolidated into a spiral in time for a purpose that we don't really know. In other words, just surviving, which is a, we must be able to do, it, it seems as if the universe has gone to an awful lot of trouble for us to just to be able to maneuver the tundras. You know, so um, I think the biggest contribution that continuum has made is unwinding that spiral into, into these essential wave connections that are connected to the biosphere. And I like to use the analogy of, in other words, what I'm saying is that we represent a vast communication network. Aside from fetching wood and carrying water and doing the rudimentary things to manage our lives, that within us is the potential of a vast communication network. And when I say that, I mean that the the spiral, the spiral in time can unhook itself into wave capability. And the way that I explain this uh, to people is that the Internet is an externalization of our own bio capability. In other words, it's ex- it has expanded into non-local capability. So if we look at communication, the first communication was chest thumping and then it went into smoke signals, and then it went into the Pony Express. I'm making broad strokes here, and, and on and on. In other words, a necessity to reach out and to communicate. But the same is here, meaning that the, the, we're composed of interpenetrating wave movements that have coalesced in time. So unwinding that wave motion and being able to not be bound by the time-space, but expanding the time-space expands our potential. And a lot of the work that I've done with spinal cord injury, uh, which is, has been so uh, difficult for people to solve in terms of the, the movement capability, um, th- that has been a ki- my, my laboratory in a way. of, And what I've done is I photograph, I film people um, because even with measuring, the, a machine is only capable of measuring what it's designed to measure. And so you don't really know what's going on, but when something is, is immobile and then all of a sudden it, it springs into life, then we can begin to see a moving process at work, which a, a machine might not necessarily record what that is. So I guess what I'm saying to you is the notion of us being self-limiting is um, because of our inability to engage with ourselves as, as profound processes and that the, our, the, the, the planetary wisdom is our birthright, it's, it, it seems to me. So that really is pretty much what we're doing.
0: One of the premises of continuum is that we are primarily fluid beings, that we are primarily made up of fluid. What is the role of fluid and fluidity in I th- continuum?
1: I think that the contribution, uh, w- what I have been pursuing all along is how do we become self-limiting and why we compose of so much fluid. In other words, that a, any baby coming into the earth plane is composed 80% fluid, if not somewhat more. So what is that about? And so to the degree that I've been able to decipher the, um, the enormity of what it is, is that the fluid stream in us is resonating with the fluid everywhere for, again, a purpose that we don't know. So the fluid in the galaxy, the fluid in the planet, the fluid in our bodies is in a resonant stream. And that resonant stream is a form of nourishment that is very similar to the umbilical cord that we see in the embryo. In other words, everything that we see in the embryo is basically a universal process. So we have a a template when we look at the embryo to see its developmental phase in nine months of, of, uh, expansion, we're actually seeing the planetary process. So the fluid movement, this, f- this resonance stream, it overrides the nervous system. The nervous system is downstream. Can
0: you say a little yeah, more about I'm that? Yeah, I'm
1: saying that fluid does not have a form.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: It's not in time. And so that it has this capacity of nourishment, as I said, similar to an umbilical cord. So, what, what I've been exploring all these years is the, the uh, and particularly when you take something like spinal cord injury or neuromuscular compromise that seems so vast, and you go to, to exhilarating the fluid within the connective tissue it overrides the nervous system. So let's just say that the impact has been in the nervous system, but the fluid is not, it has not impaired it. Mm -hmm. I mean, that is, that's a huge leap in paradigm shift. So, in other words, if we deal only with the nervous system, we're, we're creating a kind of limitation. If we go to fluid, to the fluid choreography, that's that that's a very
0: different story. Mm-hmm. And so, how uh, in continuum do you access that fluid stream? The the uh, the the most
1: immediate way of doing that has been um, with sound mm-hmm. and you could look at it that fluid carries sound wave more efficiently than any other medium. In other words, we, we know that. So it's very interesting that when we use sound, whether it's my personal sound within my own body or I use sound in relation to someone else's body, I'm stirring, I'm creating a perturbation in compression. So compression is where the fluid has become so tightly packed that there is no wave motion. So let's just say that the universal linkage, the the universal choreography, is through wave, spiral, and pulsation. That's the choreography. Mm -hmm. So through compression, there is no choreography. I'm basically isolated. There is no wave capability in compression. In other words, paralysis is compression. uh, trauma is compression um, then depending upon the degree of compression let's say paralysis is very compressed and let's say trauma is somewhat less so they might be a little bit of wave but not a whole lot mm-hmm. so the the point is to increase the communication link within the organism as a living system that is an expression of a biocosmic process mm-hmm. that it that that is um, that is capable of functioning in time but is
0: not bound by it great Um, and so in your teaching in a class in a workshop how are your students entering into this how are they accessing it
1: well, it's very interesting because I go to a lot of different places, so I have to I have to make an assessment of what the traffic will bear. <laughs> so I have to do that. <laughs> and I have to use metaphors that people are familiar with. And also the most important thing for anybody is what's it going to do for me. Mm-hmm. And so I have to frame whatever it is that we're going to be doing in terms of something very practical, mm-hmm. you know, that everybody kind of cares about, such as well, such as um uh uh, okay, let me just, uh, I'm just thinking the, the issue of thriving. Mm-hmm. And particularly these days, you know, with the advent of electronics and all of the incursions, the, um, the demand of the environment in terms of what we're beginning to understand about it, uh, how, how do we thrive within our own organism and also the breakdown of healthcare. I think the, the the enormous expense of it, uh, the issue of genetic engineering and you know modified seeds and this and that. I mean, we're facing a very powerfully challenging time that is compelling us to
0: become more creative and more capable. Uh, so. So. Um- so you speak to people about what they care about most that's right and then how and then what is it that you bring them into
1: well I when I, they're willing to go okay once so, they're
0: willing to go where do you bring them
1: okay so what I'm willing uh, to do I mean what I do is I I try to make it not so alien and you know what I what is really heartbreaking is that to me continuum is so obvious and yet it is Totally alien to most of our way of thinking. So you know, a teacher has to be very adept at engaging. And uh, and I I like to talk to a group and just get a feel for what their concerns are, and then I shape it according to what I'm hearing Mm -hmm. and what's going on. And you know, the 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 various lockdowns that people feel, et cetera, et cetera. I think one of the things that's so important about continuum is that it's so pleasurable. Mm, speak more about that. Well, I think that if you think of undulating movement as the movement of love, mm-hmm. which it is. So the, the sense of, of, of feeling that, that, uh, that emotional uh, deliverance, and I have to admit that when I first started Continuum, my, I was raised by my grandparents mostly, who were survivors. And when people use the term survivors, they mean Holocaust. So I just, for people who are not Jewish, (laughs) I just want to make sure they know what that means. And so the issue of a survivor is not to experience pleasure. So you get to live and you get to breathe, you get to walk around, you know, you're not in the concentration camp. As long as you don't feel pleasure, that's the worst thing that you can do. Mm -hmm. And so the issue of pleasure was alien to my being. Mm -hmm. And I had to teach myself to actually allow pleasure, which took a millionth of a second because I couldn't tolerate more than that Mm -hmm. and so that I had to bit by bit and I see that the issue of um, whether through religiosity or whether through whatever, whatever split there is in relation to shaming the body, in relation to all of the propaganda around the body, et cetera, et cetera, that the native the native wonder mm-hmm. of what it is to inhabit this amazing organism is for the most part virtually unknown, depending upon what breed of antagonism you were raised with. <laughs> and so, There's always some, right? Yeah. And, and, and it is true, and I say this, I, 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 you know, some people get mad at me, but I'm just saying, you can't teach continuum in certain parts of the United States. Mm-hmm. Because it appears so radical, particularly when, when we begin to see any kind of wave motion, which right away the association is a sexual one,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and the um, and certainly our sexual coupling is a it represents. A, a, unif- a, a unifying moment, but, but it goes way beyond that. Mm-hmm. And so when we look at a baby, and we look at how it's delighting in itself until it learns not to. Right. And that's really the, you know, one of the gifts of continuum. It brings back the absolute delight of corporeal reality without any shaming, without any, you know, without any propaganda, without any, any of that
0: and without any content really it's the the it is it is undifferentiated it is sheer sensation yeah. it's not necessarily labeled as sexual it's not necessarily right. labeled as wild it it is mm-hmm. it just is without meaning without well the meaning is the wonder okay the meaning
1: is the wonder and the 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 fact that there's there does not appear to be a limit yes so that when we're in that mode and also the issue is a level of creativity that 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 becomes so uh nourished in Mm -hmm. that so that my my creativity is diminished by excessive linearity uh by the cutoff of my neocortex from my body Mm-hmm. So that I don't, I'm not connected to any kind of corporeal integrity. Mm-hmm. And the the issue of being able to have a wider band, like you mentioned um, sensation uh, just now. There's something very interesting and I, I Google things up quite a bit. Um, and. One of the newest researches is with astrocytes, which are the stem cells of the brain. Mm -hmm. And so if you Google up astrocyte calcium wave and ATP, you'll see that the astrocytes cue calcium waves and ATP, which is mitochondria, and the way that they are doing it is very similar to what happens in the embryo. In other words, at any point in our development, through the astrocyte capability, the, the level of nourishment that we're able to, the plenum that an embryo is in, in the formative phase, we can access that at any age. I mean, that's just phenomenal, and, and if you continue, there's a book um, called The Root of Thought, and by Co- uh, Cobb, and he's saying that astrocytes are stimulated through sensation. Mm-hmm. So that's very, very interesting. And the sensation is not, oh, that's, my, that's, that's the pain that I feel. It's not that sensation. It's the orchestral sensation of, the, um, of the, the finer harmonics of sensory capability in terms of, as the network increases, the sensory capability increases as well. And so the, the astrocyte becomes, cued and then in turn it's queuing calcium wave and again ATP, which is the abundance. I mean that, if we think of the aging process, if we think of the degradation of uh, the, all the research they're doing with Alzheimer's now and the degradation of the brain, the basic idea of the degradation of the system in aging. So if this if this is really true about the abundance that we can thrive with. Mm-hmm. In other words, do we have to become decrepit? Do we have to degrade? Do we have to lose our minds? Is this the inevitability of a hard sought life or can we be enriched and like fine wine, can we just enjoy our existence until
0: the final fade will come? through the capacity of sensation
1: through the capacity of the enrichment of communication and the 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 dwelling of the um, the sensation is what cues astrocytes, mm-hmm. but being able to feel the, the sense of, be, of being in a moving world internally mm-hmm. that, again, it coalesces in time, but it's not bound by it. So when I'm not doing perfunctory activities, I can have the pleasure of, of the diversity of my system. You know, one of the best ways of, just, of seeing the movement of continuum is the octopus. That when we look at an octopus, we're seeing the fluid in in the tissue of the octopus, and the variation of the octopus is representing is what we're capable of.
0: Yes. So there it is. I mean, how it describe the octopus. Well, if you look
1: at an octopus, it's in a dynamic play with its environment, and so it's changing according to the circumstance, and the range of its variability is what continuum teaches so that the fluid the fluid capability in tissue is able to spread to coalesce to to shift to do this to Changes do that
0: character texture right mm-hmm. so that
1: the character of the of of what's needed is has an enormous range of possibility if you look at closed systems closed systems deteriorate meaning that they are in a state
0: of repetition based on on fear so talk about what is a closed system and how do you where do you observe it in the body in relationship to movement in relationship to health okay and
1: yeah we can describe a closed system and and again one of my ways of evaluating anything is saying will this theory hold up in a different circumstance in other words whatever it is that I'm thinking about I say if I apply this here 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 and here will it hold up? Mm -hmm. So closed systems are basically when there is no new information, where I keep, I'm in a state of repetition. So whether it's a relationship that goes dead or whether it's a paralysis where I'm I'm using it, any time you are in a closed system, it is going to deteriorate. And you know, as a dancer, I can tell you that, that the uh, dancers, you you know, If they use the same muscles all the time, or athletes, we know that they usually will deteriorate Mm -hmm. somewhere because they're in that loop. So unless they find a completely different way of using their bodies, um, Mm -hmm. where it's not about hitting the ball or doing pirouettes or whatever it is, um, closed systems cease to inform.
0: Mm -hmm. So are illnesses closed systems? or manifestations of a closed system well I think that that's
1: that certainly let's just say it's possible that it's a component in other words when we look at an illness let's say it's multifaceted mmm so we, we would what would become the closed system in uh, would be the person's thought mm-hmm. and also their breathing the the level of in other words what's very interesting And I have a degree in hypervigilance, and I have a degree in hyperventilating. So I have all these degrees in trauma. So I can just (laughs) tell you that that's what I have. Mm -hmm. And so um, the the impact of the first three phases of life, gestation, delivery, and bonding, really will shape uh, pretty much our defense structure. Mm -hmm. And that will define our breathing. And that often will become the closed system. So we can get the download from mom. Let's say mom is um, uh, very depressed. The the embryo will receive that. Or let's say mom is ill. The embryo will receive that. And that becomes the the because the embryo is so is so defenseless. That becomes a primary imprint. So the issue around respiration, if if the person breathes fast, let's say, let's say we're looking at somebody who has a diagnosis of some sort. And the first thing we look at is their breathing. If they're breathing fast, it means they're in the sympathetic nervous system, meaning fight-flight. So let's just say that we're looking at somebody with colon cancer okay if you're in fight flight all the time the energy is going into your extremities into the arms and legs to run from tigers Mm -hmm. it means that it's draining from your organs Mm -hmm. so this is critical in relation to the treatment of somebody who let's say has an organ diminishment of whether it's cancer or something else Uh, we're looking at the fact that their breath is very speedy so when the breath is speedy they're in the sympathetic nervous system you cannot heal sympathetic nervous system is run from Tigers again all the all the energy goes into the extremities it's being drained from the organs mm-hmm. and so um, that has to be taken into account mm-hmm. in relation so what happens with that which is where continuum comes in is that the tissue itself has now created a protection to maintain that fast breathing hmm so one of the things that continuum can offer is a way for a person to participate in the, in the liberating of their tissue and that primary defense uh, style that is inhibiting their ability to thrive. This is a major issue, and I'm telling you, one of the things that's really interesting is that we're not necessarily taught this as practitioners. We're not particularly taught it. Mm-hmm. So that we don't, not particularly looking, and then let's say that we, we are taught it, but we don't particularly have a protocol, a way of having our clients participate. Continuum is actually quite simple because we use sound. Mm-hmm. So a person doesn't need to have a degree in physiology to, to do it. Mm-hmm. So, so closed systems, basically, and people do know this, when a marriage fails, a relationship fails, or my body fails in some way, it's in a repetitive loop. And mm-hmm. so we have to look at where is it that the repetitive loop is. And again, I'm just saying that one of the primary loops is in breathing style, because that determines the level of receptivity and the level of negotiable territory that a person has. Mm-hmm.
0: So can you speak to how that closed system loop begins to open through continuum?
1: Well, the the, the first thing we have to do, you know, we have to allow more more flow taking place, more receptivity. So one of the things would be, uh, of course, we uh, dealing with this compressed tissue. Mm-hmm. In other words, the it, the. Usually when you see someone who has that kind of stress in their system, their shoulders are lifted, their back is somewhat arched. They call it the startle response that Mm -hmm. a a baby has. But it's a pulling up and a pulling away from the earth plane to a very large Mm -hmm. degree. So we have to find, usually a person in dire straits would be better off doing private work at first. yes, So that there's a specific uh, sequence or protocol that they do uh, under guidance, of mm-hmm. course, that will f- start to facilitate you see here's the thing is when you have a defensive imprint that is that is that early in development, your body is is going to tend to go back and maintain it mm-hmm. so that you as a as a person really needs to interrupt that we call it a recoil yes. when we do that mm-hmm. so so it's 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 um it, it's a very um, a titrated i because of my hypervigilance i do not like any I don't like any imposing from the outside. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, what I like to do in continuum is soften the inhibitors where the intelligence of the system, which is billions of years old, knows a little bit more than I do or anybody else, yeah. will make the correction. Mm-hmm. Now that's very self-empowering for anybody to actually begin to recognize that their system knows exactly what to do mm-hmm. and will make, when, it, when it's not held by the defenses, will, will make the, all of a sudden, a person will be able to actually breathe.
0: Actually breathe, actually move, actually reach, I mean. Actually let go. Actually let go.
1: Actually let go and allow something to, and actually begin to engage, instead of defending, mm-hmm. of being able to engage as a vital living process, meeting not only the human world, but also the world of, of the
0: bio, cosmic capability which includes cells by the way yes. you know people are always talking about letting go right you should let go
1: right how do you let go well you can't let go if you're all like if you're like this you that's can't right
0: let go. but one of my experiences in continuum is that it really genuinely facilitates letting go by by allowing for a softening right to occur where something new can happen. Can you talk a little bit more about letting go?
1: Well, yeah, because as a person who was hypervigilant and hyperventilating at the same time, I looked like I was dancing, meaning I I have a facility, you know, where I certainly can move. Mm -hmm. But I knew that I was frozen inside. I knew that. Mm -hmm. And so at some point it got so severe, the split of, you know, the movement and the lockdown in my system. I mean, I lived in Greenwich Village at one point and I, one Sunday, I'll never, you know, I lifted up the window and I screamed my head off. And I did that to see if anybody was there. Uh And nobody said anything. Which proved my point, that there was nobody there. Uh And so, um, and so, i continue, I mean, I'm the, the, You're the creator. love well, I'm, I'm an example. Yeah. I mean, you know, uh, you know, not only was it my personal stuff, but also the somatic history of my race mm-hmm. was also transferred very nicely through it's 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 it's, it's transferred uh, uh, dynamically through the generation. So there's generational attitude and an assemblage of 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 constriction you know when i go to the middle east to teach you know the, uh, the between the palestinians who are very stressed out and the israelis who are very stressed out you can see how it would be very hard to have an agreement because the historical data is running the show mm-hmm. and so that there it's very hard to to have any 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 give and take with that so with myself it was put up or shut up I if I wanted to live I had to uh, I had to find some other way and as I say as I entered into more of an interior um, landscape the issue of of pleasure mm-hmm. was a that was a big one mm-hmm. yeah. and so bit by bit I uh, I uh, I melted that's why I don't find working with paralysis all that much of a jump. Hypervigilance is a, uh, is a lesser form of paralysis, let's say, because you have the illusion of moving, even though you're quite paralyzed mm-hmm. inside. So to me, it was not that big a jump. Yes. So I understood it from the inside. But I think that what you know, what makes a good teacher is that you've been through the process yourself. You know, you don't you didn't draw from the sky, you know. You just you know yes. and any of the teachers in continuum have to go through the, you know, whatever process at personal levels that they go through. So they're not clones of me. They speak from their own experience, they teach from their own experience, they teach from their own bodies and whatever it is that they had to go through, they go through, you know, right. with you, help.
0: You have said that the only thing we ever teach is how many times we've died. That's right. And how we've come back. That's right. Yes.
1: And dying means how many times have I let go of what needs to be released? So, and that is a form of death, actually. Yes. I mean, I don't want to be dramatic, but it actually is. And so that actually is that. In other words, you know, we're not perfect, but how many times have I had to let go of a th- of a concept or a uh, my strategy or whatever it was that was no longer serving life that yes. wasn't serving the thriving
0: of life right and how did you come back and the story of how you came back is the teaching as well you well. see because you, as a
1: teacher the if you are holding that fear guess what the the your your group is picking that up so as you're sitting there you know we you know what mirror neurons are we 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 feel what's going on okay so you're you know you've been you know is i can't say dissolved up because we never know but uh, but you've been through a process let's Mm -hmm. say and so you your vibrational quality reflects that so people actually calm down in Mm -hmm. other words the first thing that happens when you're when you're in a group, people are sniffing you out like a bunch of dogs. You know we're animals really, and so they are sniffing. They're going, can I trust this person? You know, mm-hmm. I don't know. You know, do I like what they're wearing? Uh, is that mascara? Oh, good. I wish she wears mascara. Oh, I'm <laughs> mascara. You know, so we're going around. You know, we're looking at all this. And you know, so as a teacher, you know that for ten minutes, the first ten minutes of any group, you have to let yourself be sniffed. Mm-hmm. And so it doesn't even matter what you say. I mean, you could be reading a magazine. It doesn't matter. You know. people have to do that Mm -hmm. and so they're evaluating can i can i relax because fear management is is what goes on all the time is am i safe am i not safe is this safe can i trust can i not trust Mm -hmm. you know what is this Oh, oh you know so you have to so that's it so the teacher has been through an initiation process uh, to whatever degree they're able to so let's just say that they have a certain amount of calm and experience in them that the people begin to sniff out and and go oh okay this is good right this is going to be all yes. right and yes. so they they can hear you mm-hmm. and receive you
0: yes yeah you describe the healing process as a respiration between a dissolve and a coming back together and a dissolve and a coming back together towards a greater and greater coherency mm-hmm. the dying and the coming back mm-hmm. and the dying and the coming back can you speak to that
1: yeah because expiring to expire is to let go of form mm-hmm. so i mean that's what it means and to inspire is the taking on of a vision and of of, of creativity, mm-hmm. and so that exchange of being able to, to do that—the thing in continuum—the letting go still maintains coherency.
0: Yes. So, and what do you mean by that? What
1: I mean by that, it has the ability to self-organize. Mm-hmm. So, the if if we think of something aging it can be seen as a loss of coherency, meaning that the system becomes amorphous. Mm -hmm. Its ability to self-organize, it loses energy. Mm -hmm. So its ability to self-organize becomes less and less. That's Mm -hmm. usually how we see it. So whether it's neurological, physical, whatever it is. And so what I think is brilliant about continuum, you can say my yes. answer <laughs> uh-huh. is the fact that we go through death in life, meaning mm-hmm. that the form has plasticity. So that so that it and by participating in it, that we actually are doing it, so it maintains coherency. Mm-hmm. So that it's able to reorganize at a more complex level. So I mean that that's been and again, I didn't draw from the sky. You know, forty five years ago when I started continuum, it looked more like a dance class. Mm-hmm. Because that was the that was what I was used to doing. Yes, I mean it certainly doesn't look like a dance class now, but it's been a progressive. It's been a progressive shifting of a priority.
0: Mm-hmm. Yes, and
1: so it is more of the again the octopus the tissue play that that becomes really the key factor in continuum, and also the multiple relationships to gravity. Mm-hmm. So that, again, the diversity of a system, the, where form has so much plasticity, mm-hmm. and yet it's able to reorganize to fetch wood, carry water, you know, drive the car, you know, answer the phone, do, if do, whatever, yes. do whatever it is necessary. So the issue around, again, this comes back to the degradation of the system. Is it necessary if, for us to enter into the amorphous nightmare of losing capability, or again, can, can we become increasingly more, more capable within our organism so that we, it, it doesn't mean that we live longer necessarily, but the issue of deterioration uh, is just not an issue. Mm -hmm. And what I find interesting, you know, that all the uh, uh, research now, you know, people go exercise, exercise. Well, you know, exercise, I mean, of course, you get more circulation, you get more of this. But if you look at most exercise, it's repetitive. And so it's still not taking you into the broadband of undulating capability, which is very different. So it. So again, it's not that exercise is bad. It's just that it's looking at the body, not as yes, within a very reductive frame, and that and that in continuum we're seeing the scope of the organism having a broad time space capability, and so that it be so that the way of engaging in exercise is not in this. In this lockdown of repetitive movement and predictability,
0: right. so, so you're talking about the body as creativity. That's right.
1: Which, which, if you look at the embryo, that's what the embryo the embryo is in an act of creation. Mm-hmm. So that at a at a broadband level, creativity should be you know normal. <laughs> I mean, you know, I mean, not, nothing so special. You know that you have to go be in an attic. You know and proclaim <laughs> or anything like that. I mean, it's not so, you know, and you see here, here's the annoying factor, mm-hmm. okay? The body is movement. Okay, movement is the least investigated. When I say that, I mean city planning, would they have a movement person as an advisory? No, I never heard of that. No, of they do have traffic management, mm-hmm. which is not the same thing. <laughs> okay, in education, the, you know, the, the movement of learning, mm-hmm you know kids having to sit still you know i mean just the whole notion architecture is a really good example the house is an extension of the body when you have rectangles and low ceilings and fluorescent light guess what you're destroying energy Mm -hmm. you want to have really thriving brains you would have a very different architecture Mm -hmm. where there could be some movement going on where you don't have that squashed in rectangular kind of it looks like ice cube trays Yes. if you want to kill the creative spirit stick it in that mm-hmm. and then expect to get something so i just want to say or put in a plug uh-huh. for the fact that in all of the various machinations that we go through in terms of government and this and that and the other thing particularly architecture particularly any any building is going to determine what the flow of energy is going to be
0: so it's about context absolutely that, it's you know about you, context. you you always talk about That's that right. we shape to our context,
1: all behavior is is an expression of context. That's mm-hmm. absolutely yes. Depending on what country you're in, what state you're in, what the building is like, et cetera, et cetera. Absolutely. Yes.
0: What your emotions are, what your thoughts yeah. are, what you know—all of these are contexts that give us
1: exactly. Shape. I'm just going to use an example, which mm-hmm. I like to use: Battery Park in New York, where uh, where they have these buildings that have what I call cataract windows, that the windows that don't see. Oh. Uh-huh. And nothing can be more deadly and more stultifying than walking around with those huge concrete buildings that don't see. If you want to create an alienating environment, do that. Mm-hmm. Put, a, put a humanoid in that environment, and you cannot thrive. You well, you can't go anywhere. There uh-huh. is no, there's nothing to undulate with.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So of course, you know. So then I have to be on my cell phone. I have to use electronic means to kind of reach out and touch. But I'm just saying that if you want, if you want to, I'm going to just say this on public, if you want to create robots, mm-hmm. you put everybody into birth trauma, and then you do architecture like Battery Park, and you've got it made. Mm-hmm. So you take a human being who is on, has such a defensive posture, mm-hmm. who can't feel much in the first place, and then you put them in an alienating environment, mm-hmm you you've got it you've got robots you've got you know your robotic obedient society uh-huh. so just don't tell anybody about
0: that okay and so give me the opposite picture the op-
1: the opposite picture would be okay i say you know we have to deal with what is mm-hmm. you know so i mean we're not on a rock in polynesia you know so yes. i mean i'm from brooklyn so i'm <laughs> just saying <laughs> and so we have we have to become very uh, clever Yes. So, what I, th- what I feel, I mean, it's so obvious if we're living, let's say, where there's a lot of greenery and this and that, there's undulations from the trees and all of the, mm-hmm. uh, you know, all of that, that that are in rapport with living systems. So, we have to get that cities and buildings and all that are not in rapport. Mm-hmm. Particularly in Los Angeles, we're driving in our cars all the time. And so, we have to find a way to offset the, the alienation. Mm-hmm. of how the social structure goes, which is extremely alienating. So if we if we had any sense of body of body thriving, our cities would not look the way that they are, mm-hmm. the buildings would not be the way they are, you know, the whole way it goes would not be that. So we have to take it upon ourselves to occupy Soma. <laughs> we have mm-hmm. to we have to yes. learn how to occupy our bodies and to offset I mean, to me, continuum is more crucial than ever. You know, early in the 60s, it was, you know, it was fun. We had drums, this and that, you know, it was a lot of fun. But now it's much more crucial because of the alienation of the environment. And if we don't have a way of offsetting that, I mean, like in my bedroom, I have a lot of plants, you know, so there's mm-hmm. a lot of
0: undulating energy, but still, I mean, I live in Los Angeles. And it's not all coming from the plants in your bedroom. It's coming <laughs> no. from an internal process that you are participating with, Emily you have an agenda about the implication of tribal systems looking at it from the point of view of a closed system
1: mm-hmm.
0: can you talk about that
1: yeah i think that what was very helpful for me uh, i read a book called the compassionate brain which i'm plugging uh, because uh Herrera, the man that wrote it uh, he he put this particular scenario so clearly that I wish I had read it early in my career because it helped me to understand what was going on with most people. What he's saying is, he's a neuroscientist, and he's saying that the, um, that in the transition, of what, he, uh, what is called the ring of fire in, in the delivery of a newborn into the earth plane. He's saying that the change of environment from the gestating liquid chamber to the uh, approaching to life on land is the most anxiety-producing moment for both mom and baby. And he's saying that that anxiety, the person spends the rest of their life calming down that anxiety which I recognized when I read that he put it so simply and I thought oh my god that is it because I couldn't I just didn't understand you know what is going on the issue to calm down according to Herrera, is the primal that's the primal necessity is to calm my system down mm-hmm. so the issue of bonding and connecting is the drive of the system mm-hmm. and so the relationship to mom the relationship to family and then eventually the the tribal the, so all of that calms me down. So the issue, and this is the tricky part, because our ne- need to be connected, which is, which is all the Twitter and Facebook and all that business that we're doing, you know, are you there, are you there, are really uh, uh, manifestations of this need to, to connect, to calm down. Mm-hmm. And so anything that threatens my calming down I have to dominate or kill. I mean, this mm. is in a tightly bound, fear-based, tribal orientation is that I'm so threatened. Now, we do have to be connected, mm-hmm. but does it have to be a closed system connection? In other words, do, do the rules and regulations of my social order have to be so strict yes. that it can't permit mobility and innovation? So that is really the problem with what we're looking at. So something that, that came about thousands of years ago may have to be re-understood mm-hmm. from where we are now in a completely different world, which we are. Right. That every time you, you can allow a new movement, mm-hmm. fear steps back. Every time you can allow a new sensation, fear steps back. Fear and creativity cannot live in the same house. Creativity is the emerging unexpected. Fear is predictability and this is what ruins most relationships is that if I have a lot of fear and I have to control your behavior because it makes me uncomfortable if you're too whatever. So I have to control that and, the, and the, the relationship will begin to wither because I have to be obedient to, to uh, appease your need for, for predictability and I have to stifle my own, my own system in order to do that. I see this all the time with, with someone who is ill and is in a relationship of a very controlling partner, where they have to inhibit their behavior to such a degree that they're actually stifling themselves, they become sick. I mean, this is very common. Mm-hmm. So, so having the largesse of being able to not see something new as threatening is, comes from my own, you know, my own inner experience with that, and I think that that is a big gift of
0: continuum. Perfect. So we're coming to the end of our conversation. We could go on and on. Where's the espresso? Yeah, where's the? We'll we'll be getting in a minute. Um, So I want to ask you, um, what would you like to leave us with? What thoughts, feelings would you like to leave us with?
1: Well, the feeling that I I give myself every day because you know, frankly, I have to throw myself out the door. You know, so I mean because (laughs) because I listen to the news a lot, and Uh which I probably shouldn't do, but I do. I mean, I I I really think that this is such a time for creative challenge, mm-hmm. you know. And I I just think that if we see it that way, that we're being we're being cued to become more, not less. Mm-hmm. And we have to know what makes us less, and we have to know what makes us more. Mm-hmm. And that's our blessing. So you know, here we are. We're not in Rock and Polynesia. We're here, and and. It's all in us.
0: Beautiful. Beautiful. So thank you, Emily. (laughs) This has been wonderful. This has been wonderful. And thank you, listeners, for joining us. Um, You can find out more information about Continuum by contacting their website, ContinuumMovement.com, or through links on Commonweal. It's been a great pleasure. Espresso now? Espresso, let's go.
1: (laughs) Great.